Good morning. This week here on the programme, we're discussing the ever-increasing threat of flooding of farmland. It's on the rise yet again. We've had more bad weather this weekend. We'll discuss that in a bit more detail soon. Maybe it's uh, climate change. If so, a little later, we'll speak to one company that's trying to help the environment, but might also save you some money. The only one thing that continues to rise is electricity. I think it's gone up 112% in the last 14 years. So... If and as we leave the EU, I can only see or foresee that uh, that cost uh, escalating even greater than what it is doing now. More on that later. Also this week, yet more uncertainty with Brexit extended and now a general election. The week in agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Hello. Remember, remember the 3rd of November. Well, it's here anyway. Uh, welcome to another week's farming. It's uh, certainly not been an October, we'll forget weather-wise, is it? Or a September for that, or July, or June. The wet weather has continued to cause problems. This week was a little bit drier, certainly in the week, not so much yesterday. Uh, but uh, this time last week, you might remember, river levels were rising once again and farmland back under water. One farmer posted on Facebook that he's worked in farming since the early 80s and he's never witnessed a year like this one. He said it's the first year that he's honestly said to himself, what's the point with very few crops sown for next year and the nearby river taking more of his farm from productivity? I'm sure he's not alone in those views. Let's get the latest from our man who's out in the conditions, come rain or shine, our agronomist Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yes, good morning, Sean, and an awful lot of people in this industry, and not just this industry, but industries that rely upon the weather for their livelihood have been seriously compromised by the seasons that we've had this year. And I say seasons because from the 1st of January to the 31st of May, it was incredibly dry for us. You know, they're the months we expect to get the rain, particularly January, February, March and April, but we simply didn't and I only took five and a half inches of rain between Christmas Eve and the 31st of May but then the rain started if you remember cereals how wet it was around cereals that was the Wayne Fleet flooding all happened at the same sort of time I was very fortunate in June I only took 96 millimetres of rain there were people less than 20 miles away from me who took 150 millimetres of rain in 36 hours that's why the flooding happened so badly then July 78 millimetres of rain August 68 millimetres of rain. But a lot of the rain in August fell at the first half. By the time we got to the 20th of August, it was looking a lot better. People were getting all seed rape in the ground. Some people were delaying all seed rape drilling until the end of August to try and combat the threat of two or three generations of cabbage stem flea beetle larvae. And, you know, people were therefore drilling at the end of August into the beginning of September. But it turned so dry, we got so little rain in the period from about the 20th of August to the 21st of September, that some of these late drilled winter oilseed rape crops just couldn't manage because it was so dry. And the cabbage stem flea beetle adults capitalised on that and wiped out what, what did decide to come through, and a lot of it just before it came through the ground. Well, then we got into September. It was nice and dry. People didn't want to do any drilling because of black grass BYDV threat um, and there were some late crops still to take off but then the 21st of September hit and it started to rain and between the 21st of September and the 1st of November not only have I registered 251 millimetres of rain in that seven week period 
but also I've only had three days and two of them were this week where it didn't rain at all and that's been the major problem. It's not as if we've had a period of intense rain and then a fortnight of dry weather. We've just had rain every single day which has compromised us doing anything at all out there on the land and as I record this it started to rain again. Now to put 251 millimetres of rain in perspective, one millimetre of rain delivers one litre per square metre and one litre of water weighs a kilo, so that's one kilo of water per square metre. There are 10,000 square metres in a hectare, so that's 10,000 kilograms divided by 1,000 is 10 tonnes of water per hectare for one millimetre of rain. So from 250 millimetres of rain, that's a quarter of a tonne of water per square metre, which is two and a half million litres of water per hectare, which is two and a half thousand tonnes of water per hectare. Now an Olympic sized swimming pool, which is 50 metres by 25 metres by two metres deep, holds two and a half thousand tonnes of water. So it is so wet out there because the land has had, where I've registered 250 mil of rain, it's had an Olympic sized swimming pool's worth of water on it in the last seven weeks. That's why we can't go drilling. But then there's the other complication and the gentleman that you were talking about, where you've got rivers breaching and bursting their banks and flooding farmland, that's down to bad management of watercourses. I'm sorry, but it is. When silt or the water levels of rivers are allowed to rise above the level of the outfall of a land drain that's taking the water away from farmland, because farmers have done their job, the water then goes into a watercourse and goes away. But if a river is supposed to be 15 feet deep and 20 feet across, but because it's been allowed to silt up through poor management and it is only six feet deep and 10 feet across, it cannot carry that water away. The water backs up and it floods the land. And I can only imagine how frustrating and disheartening it must be for farmers who've managed to coax their oilseed rape through, through management and hard work, past the cabbage stem flea beetle threat, or have managed to get winter wheat in the ground, some of the very few people who have, against those watercourses and on that good silty land, only to see it flooded out, it must be absolutely heartbreaking. So, the position we find ourselves in today is it is still wet. It is still very wet. But all is not lost. Yes, we haven't got an awful lot of crop in the ground as to this point, the beginning of November. But that's not the end of the world. If you remember in 2011, harvest was a very good harvest. Autumn 2011 was probably the nicest, kindest, most benevolent drilling season I've been involved with. We got into March 2012 and we're looking at some beautifully well-established crops. But then it started raining in April 2012 and it didn't stop. And it's the worst harvest I've ever been involved in. So I come back to what I said last week. It's the weather in June and July, but also in May. May, June, July. It's that weather which is critical to our harvest. We can still put winter wheat crops in the ground till February. It's only the beginning of November. Winter barley, probably a different kettle of fish. We can still get winter beans in. We can still get spring beans in. Spring barley, we were going to have a lot of spring crops anyway because of the the threat from black grass etc on an awful lot of farms. So it looks incredibly wet out there now. It's because we haven't had the drying days. It's not so much how wet it is, but it's how dry it hasn't been. And I know that sounds stupid, but if you've got 
sort of 55 days of rain and in amongst that you've got two or three scattered dry days if you had all of that rain in 20 days and 20 days are dry you'd have been drilling for the last 10 days so we have to take opportunities as they arise farmers are the most resilient people on earth they are the best problem solvers out there and i'm proud to be part of an industry which i know will get through this there's not a lot in the ground now but you know fingers crossed Things can change very quickly. Look at the weather now. It's changed from a dry day to a wet day. But we can't moan dry wet and we can't moan wet dry. We have to put up with what we're given, but it is incredibly wet and it's probably the wettest start to a campaign of drilling that I have ever been involved in. Anyway, onwards and upwards. Let's see what next week brings. Indeed, yes. Well, look at the forecast towards the end of the programme. Sean, what about uh, agronomy? Much happening at the moment? So, yes, Sean, the agronomy report. Well, this is going to be short and sweet. Number one, oilseed rate. Number two, winter barley, no more in the ground than there was last week. Number three, winter wheat. Yes, there's been some winter wheat drilled. Yes, there have been some spraying done. And as I said last week, if you're going to drill and you're on black grassland, make sure you can drill a field and spray a field. Then drill another field and then spray another field. Don't drill it all and go back to it because that's where the black grass will get ahead of you. Apart from that, absolutely no change out there. A few more slugs, a bit more disease in the oilseed rate. What can you do? When the weather's like this, we can neither drill nor spray. Thank you. It was short and sweet, wasn't it? Uh, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Now, it's not just the weather that's hard to predict. Just as difficult will be what will happen come December the 12th and the general election that's heading our way. Yep, I've checked while Sean was speaking there. And although it's November, we are still in the EU, with Brexit, of course, extended possibly for another three months. Parliament is being dissolved this week, but will the election do anything to solve Brexit? It's amazing to think, you know, it was four years ago this week since the economist Sean Rickard appeared here on the farming programme and first used the phrase Brexit. George Dunn of the Tenant Farmers Association, can you believe four years on, not only have we had the referendum, but we're now on to our third Prime Minister and our second general election? It is completely bizarre isn't it? And I'm sure that the time that Brexit was first used on your programme has given you uh, lots of things to talk about, Sean. But it is completely bizarre that we are where we are, and uh, we just do need to find a way through the current impasse. Now, you, your feeling is a general election now isn't the right time, is it? No, I mean, we have had Parliament for the first time say something positive about a deal that's come out of the European Union in terms of the second reading of the EU Withdrawal Bill Act uh, Bill. Um, of course, what we need to do now is to run off and canvas the streets for five weeks to have a new... Uh, what we should be doing is giving Parliament the time to have some adequate scrutiny of this legislation, which is going to be of major constitutional importance to us into the long term. So let's allow Parliament to have the time to do that, is our view. It continues the uncertainty, doesn't it? Until at least Christmas, probably, if we get a hung Parliament again, well into next year. Well, we've got 13 weeks until the 31st of January, which is the deadline for the new extension. We're going to spend half that time, it seems, falling over ourselves to elect some new MPs. At worst, we're going to have a parliament which is even more divided than it is at the moment. And at best, there is uncertainty as to whether or not any party will be able to form a government. And then we'll probably have, after the Christmas holidays, five weeks to try and get things sorted before the 31st. So it just seems completely crazy that we are putting ourselves through this position. 
And of course, the transitional period runs out in, well, just over a year's time, really, now, doesn't it? The end of next year. So further delay uh, is going to affect that as well. Well, of course, the deadline for the transitional period hasn't moved since Theresa May made her deal with the EU back earlier on in the year. So we had almost two years from that point to arrange our affairs for uh, completely severing our ties with the EU if we have a 31st of January 2020 Brexit, then we have got literally 11 months to renegotiate our free trade agreement with the, with the EU. And that doesn't seem like a lot of time to me. What are TFA members saying to you about this ongoing situation? Like any organisation, any walk of life, there are a range of views within our organisation. So there are those individuals who are... Uh, desperate to see the sunlit uplands that they were promised in 2016 by Brexit and are saying, why did we just get on with it? And there are others who are frightened, worried, upset about what happens to their business outside of the European Union into the long term. So uh, for both sides, we're not in a very happy place. Now, I know the politicians do listen to the programme. What would your message be to them as they're about to dissolve Parliament? Well, I would say that we need to find a way to ensure that when Parliament does reconvene, that it moves swiftly and efficiently to ensure that the necessary legislation is in place to give us the platform to negotiate a good deal with the EU beyond the end of 2020, because if we don't have access to those European markets in a good free trade agreement, it will be very difficult for our industry, particularly our sheep, beef and arable producers, to remain profitable. I'm sure we all agree with that. Thank you, George. That's George Dunn, Chief Executive of the TFA, the Tenant Farmers Association. Apologies there for the line dropping out a little bit in places. One consequence of the early election is the future of total farm payments. We were told they were protected until the end of this parliament, which at the time was 2022. What happens now then? Baroness Jones of Whitchurch, Labour's environment frontbencher in the Lords, asked that very question of DEFRA Minister Lord Gardner of Kimball on Wednesday. Farmers are not clear what will be expected of them and how a new payment system will work after 2020. The government had previously pledged to commit the same cash total in funds for farm support until the end of this Parliament, which was originally expected to be 2022. Given that the end of the Parliament is now being brought forward, does that guarantee still stand? And will the operative date uh, for continuation, full continuation of the payments now be 2022 or indeed 2025? My lords, clearly um, there will be a new parliament and it will be clearly for whoever is successful in that election to take this matter forward. What this government is very clear is that the farmers deserve support. The noble barons is absolutely right. With 70% of the land in this country farmed, the farming community are essential if we are to achieve enhancement of the environment. Our intention is clearly to continue with the transition period. There will be tests and trials. We will be working, and this is the important thing, we will be working with farmers to ensure that it is a scheme that is straightforward and creates results.
Mm, so warm words, but Lord Gardiner wasn't there committing the next Parliament to continue those payments. I'm aiming to catch up with all of the main party's agricultural spokespeople between now and Election Day, so what question would you like me to put to them? Send me an email through our station website or DM me if you want if you're on Twitter at Farming Show, and I'll make sure your voice is heard as December the 12th gets ever closer. Let's talk climate change. Calm down. If you're a regular listener to the farming programme, you'll know we're firmly on British farming side. I'm not about to ask you all to go vegan. Don't worry. Uh, But I think we all agree more does need to be done to help the environment. We all need to do our bit. But what if by doing our bit, we can save some money at the same time? That's a good thing, surely. Uh, A number of companies are offering such temptations. I went to meet one, the team at Eco Energy Solutions, to find out more about what they do and how they're already helping farmers. David Nash set up the company from scratch and it's been quite a journey, David. Hi, absolutely. Um, basically, we started, or I started, um, some six years ago now in renewable energy as um, a manager for a firm up in Grimsby. Uh, I then decided to venture off on my own and built the business up from uh, virtually nothing, a shed and a computer up to uh, big offices now up in Lindham and um, quite a lot of installations on a weekly, monthly basis. And, I mean, we're talking a lot now about climate change and about the climate and about you know, saving the environment, that kind of thing. Your business really is at, at the heart of that, isn't it? About, you know, that energy solutions that are economic, they're saving us money as well as helping the planet. Absolutely. I mean, climate change is a massive thing nowadays uh, in the media, uh, and I think we should all be doing our bit to try and help with uh, renewable technologies and reducing greenhouse gases. So the business is really at uh, at the forefront in trying to get uh, brand awareness out for that and let homeowners and businesses alike know that there are alternatives to fossil fuels to help run their businesses in a more efficient and cost-effective way. So from a farming perspective, obviously here on the farming programme, what what kind of things you're working on what kind of projects have you been doing well there's a lot of poultry farms now that are turning to solar uh, we're involved on a big scale with those we've recently just finished a, a solar panel installation at a local farm where the grain dryers uh, the big electric dryers to dry the crops the electricity cost for them is quite high so um, the solar panels are helping reduce that cost whilst giving a, a better return on investment the money's sat in the bank will give given the poor state at uh, the percentage returns you get from bank interest rates. And at the moment, obviously, you know, it's, it's important, isn't it? You know, because farmers are looking to save a bit of money where they can. This is actually saving them quite a lot of money on, on the electricity costs. Absolutely. The only one thing that continues to rise is electricity. I think it's gone up 112% in the last 14 years. So if and as we leave the EU, I can only see or foresee that, uh, that cost uh, escalating even greater than what it is doing now. So how does it work? Talk us through the system. If I, if I was coming to you now and I had a shed full of chickens, what would you say to me? Well, we'd do a site visit. We'd look at uh, your usage uh, on an annual basis and see what size system you'd need to install if you had the capacity for it. So we'd have to check with the DNO, the network, and make sure that everything is there from their perspective. They're OK for the supply to go ahead. We'd then, as I said, look at your usage and then design a system on the space or area we've got available to us to meet those needs and then quote it up, design it uh, and present it back to the farmer, the client, uh, for consideration. 
a strong believer in just working it as a project for whether it's a domestic installation or, or a big poultry installation. You've got to look at the pros and cons of it. Is it worth the investment uh, and what's the return on investment, uh, both on an annual and uh, full return on investment uh, basis. So if, if X is in, installed and it costs Y, when does Y come back as an investment? It's quite important that. There's a lot of firms out there that aren't really bothered about the, the end result for the client. Uh, and I pride ourselves on, on the fact that we look at the, the client's uh, perspective as opposed to just getting another installation on the books. Of course, we've had a very wet um, sort of summer. Um, it wasn't certainly not like the summer of last year. This summer has been particularly wet, so therefore there's a lot of grains, a lot of corn, a lot of things that are going to need drying, and therefore a solution like this could be the answer. It is, yeah. And, and again, one of the main questions we get asked that is not sunny enough. Solar panels don't necessarily work off sun. It's uh, daylight that they're working off because they're a photovoltaic cell. So obviously, the brighter. Uh, the day, the more power is produced. Uh, the duller the day, the less power, of course. So it doesn't have to be a sunny day for production to, to, to start and to be of a benefit uh, to the farmer. We talked a lot about chicken sheds. I guess there are other uh, things that, on farms that you know, would benefit from, from what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, main electrical appliances, we've got uh, some instances where there's factories underneath farm sheds that are rented out, uh, there's MOT bays uh, that are in farm barns that have been converted. There's all kinds of situation where it can help. If there's something on electrical within the farm, obviously it will be fed from the, from the array that's been put on the roof. Do you think people are still put off? They think it's going to be costly. Having this work done is actually going to cost a lot of money. I think so, yes. But when you weigh it up, again, like I said, when we do the design and the project for the client, you've got to look at the cost against saving. Obviously, with the feed-in tariff gone now, and the only thing to do or to look at an installation for is on saving. Uh, what will it save us on a annual basis? And is that worth it as a return on investment, i.e. the cost of the installation, for the individual, whether it's the business or Mr and Mrs Miggins, let's say, from uh, Lincoln High Street? And, and as you've said before, those savings definitely are there. Absolutely. Um, we all use electricity and we all uh, depend on electricity as our main energy uh, source. So if we can make it ourselves, it, it's common sense to do so. That's David Nash at Eco Energy Solutions. Oh, and a special hello to Mr. and Mrs. Miggins if you are listening in this morning. On to the latest from Open Field then. Kit Dickinson is the man in the know again this week. Here we are again. And uh, yes, the, the market rose this week by £4.50 on Monday and Tuesday, which brought some positivity back to the domestic prices. Now that Brexit has been postponed, there is a question mark over how much export will take place between now and the 31st of January 2020. We are competitively priced and exports continue. If we see a huge amount of grain leave the country, this could help our domestic prices going forward. New crop values are still buoyant and worth considering, dependent on how much you have drilled to date. Currently, the prices for January 2021 through to May 2021 are £150 plus for feed wheat, which is a minimum of £13 above the UK average for feed wheat for the last five years. Given the uncertainty going forward with Brexit and poor weather conditions for autumn drilling, this looks like a very attractive price. Limited news on all seed rape this week, but prices continue to hover around the 310 to 320 mark for the rest of the marketing year, with limited fresh news coming forward. There is limited buyers and limited demand going forward, and the current focus is on drilling winter crops, and there is lacking other news. 
worth considering, given the poor weather at the moment and limited winter wheat going in the ground, to talk about oats. The 2019 oat harvest is one of the biggest oat areas ever planted in the UK and claims to be close to 1 million metric tonnes. Spring oats have had another difficult year with bushel weights varying anywhere between 38 and 50 kg. Feed oat markets are limited and the price isn't appealing at the moment. Inspect spring oats are trading anywhere between 113 and 117 x the farm and for muscarnies anywhere from 118 to 122 x. Feed oats are circa 90 pounds x the farm. It's too early to tell what 2020 harvest will bring. It is also too early to write off any winter varieties that haven't yet been drilled. I think growers still have a few weeks to play with before they can write off winter drilling. So moving on to prices this week. Feed wheat for November 131 to 133. February 135 to 137. In May 140 to 142. November 20 new crop 147 to 149. Milling premiums are circa 20 to 22 pounds. Oilseed rape, as I said earlier, 313 to 315 for November. February 316 to 318. May 319 to 321. And November 20 new crop, 304 to 306. Barley for November 119 to 121. With a limited carry going forward to February at 120 to 121. May, 122 to 124. And November 20 new crop, 123 to 125. Malting premiums are only 8 to £10 currently. Feed beans for November, 170 to 175. And beans for May, 174 to 179. Human consumption premiums are £25 for springs and £10 for winters. Thanks, Kit. Kit Dickinson there at Open Field. Now, we started with our discussion on the weather, so, as usual, let's end with the weekly forecast. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, a mixed bag today, a few showers, but dry and sunny spells in places as well. The wind from the southwest, 15 miles an hour, daytime highs of 10. There's another area of low pressure moving in tomorrow. That could bring a shower or two. The winds more from the southeast, highs nearer 8. More of the same on Tuesday. Further rain in the forecast and cooler air as well. Tuesday into Wednesday as those winds blow more from the north, so some frosts possible overnight. More low pressure then arriving towards the end of the week, bringing yet more wet weather by the looks of things at the moment, I'm afraid. For now, that is the forecast. Next week, we'll try and answer the question as to why there isn't more young blood getting into agriculture, especially becoming mechanics, keeping farm machinery running. That and much, much more next week. If you'd like to join the conversation, air your thoughts, then please do get in touch. Always like to hear from you. Until next week's programme, take care.